Back, watching Stockwatch with me, Juliet Televi, and joining me to take your questions this evening are Derek Janser von Rensburg from Anchor and Zuelakim Guni from Benguela Global Fund Managers. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Derek Zuelake, good evening to you both. Um, Zuelake, if I may start with you, it was a cracker day on the market today. Um, did we take our cue essentially with the all share rising by 3% from US markets and uh, what appears to be some good earnings out of some major US institutions like Bank of America? Yeah, good evening, Gileta. Certainly, our market did take a cue from a uh, global market. I think uh, there was a bit of a relief when uh, some of the US banking stocks came out with numbers that were better than expectations. I think in the last few weeks and maybe last uh, week or so, we've heard from most of the banks that they are restructuring, they're trying to cut costs. And I think it's indicative of what they expect uh, to happen in the economy in the next few months. So I think I think uh, the numbers that came out, I think those Goldman Sachs, uh, I think the, the, the market was actually quite pleased with that and kind of gave them a relief. Mm. Um, Derek, to be perfectly honest, sir, I'm quite confused because uh, to my mind, the, the signs that are from the U.S. economy have not been one of frailty at all. It's an overheated economy. So it, it didn't seem as if the earnings, particularly of something like a Bank of America, would ever really be in doubt. You've had very good employment numbers. Uh, you've got good wage growth. People are doing well out of their houses. So the, the health of the, the U.S. consumer is not in doubt. It's because the U.S. consumer and the U.S. economy is so robust that you're seeing the Federal Reserve trying to do its best to tame all these animal spirits. So I'm a little bit confused as to why the market reacted so positively as if it maybe were expecting bad numbers out of these corporates. I'm just trying to wrap my no, head around I think this. It's, I think it's a good question that you raised there. I mean... I think what one needs to remember is that obviously during a very sharp increasing rate cycle that we're in at the moment, there's always a lagged effect that that has on consumers and consumer spend ultimately and obviously filters through down to corporate earnings at the end of the day. Um, I think it's too soon to tell. We've obviously had some very sharp interest, interest uh, increases uh, coming out of the Fed over the last three months. Um, and I still think that the data points that we're seeing right now are too soon to tell. So I, I think that the market has taken a very cautious stance and kind of expecting the worst case scenario. So slightly better news is going to act as as some short term buoyancy. And that's what we saw take place today. And we see those markets up strongly. Um, but again, it's still very too soon to, to tell. I think the next earnings uh, quarter is going to be quite telling in terms of the higher interest rate environment and how that's potentially impacting earnings, particularly companies with debt on balance sheet. So I think that uh, all in all, nice to see a relief rally. It's been red all year round, so it's very nice to see a bit of green on, on, on the screens uh, like today. Um, but yeah, I think that um, the, the current earnings that we're seeing out of the US is certainly set, setting a nice tone for the rest of the earnings due to come out. So Hopefully, we see some follow through in the rally, and we see some higher market. Yeah. Having said that, so like, do you? Um, I mean, from what Derek said, do you? Maybe uh, does one need to be slightly cautious, and that you think, okay, well, 
you've got to see um, how companies' uh, earnings um, are in, in, uh, for the rest of the year or the, in the next six months? Or alternatively, does it make you think actually the case for equity markets is still strong and it was just the selling was overdone and, and this tells you that you, you could do worse than invest in a, in a share rather than in a bond at this point in time? Yeah, I, I think Dilad, I mean, uh, Derek uh, made a good point that, you know, it, it's too early to tell, but I certainly think that if one looks at where we are now, we are probably headed into the last, say, three to six months of what could be the bottom in terms of the the, the market, because market will always look forward. So the numbers that might come out might come out uh, not as great, but oftentimes it might not be as bad as what the market expected. And you, if you're trying to fish for the bottom, you might not get it right because uh, the market was rally ahead of it. But certainly, I think in the short term, you probably have to be cautious and focus on uh, good quality businesses. But I think uh, long term, the next six months might offer us a great opportunity to build some nice positions uh, uh, globally in the market. Okay. I mean, one of the other factors behind today's uh, positivity, I, I guess, was um, the new <laughs> Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK, <laughs> Jeremy Hunt, essentially reversing everything that Kwasi Kwarteng um, uh, laid on the market a couple of weeks ago to the market's sheer horror. Um, so reversing tax cuts um, and, and the UK bond yields um, uh, rallied as a result. Um, but there's a question from a viewer and he says, can the panel please explain how bonds, gilts and yields work and how these affect our economy and that of the UK? It gets really confusing, especially when it comes to investing in South African retail bonds. Um, Derek, I suppose we're looking maybe for a bonds 101. I don't know if you can <laughs> do that for us. Okay, so, so bonds in itself are obviously an asset class um, in its own little sphere. Um, essentially, what you've got is you've got the price of a bond and the yield uh, that it's essentially paying. So when you look at purchasing or getting into a bond, you're looking at the yield price or, or call it the yield that you're essentially locking in. That's the price you pay. As those yields go up, the prices come down. So there is certainly an inverse relationship, which is why we've seen through the course of this year, these bond yields spike, but the capital value really hamper returns for the bond market and give you uh, negative returns from a global perspective. So those capital values of the bond have certainly re-rated to, to the downside. Obviously, you've got to try and sit it through. Bonds are certainly not uh, speculative type instruments. You've got to try and time the cycles, uh, the interest rate cycle in particular. But um, essentially what you've got to focus on is what yield you're prepared to lock in looking two to three years out and be prepared to just stomach a little bit of short-term capital fluctuation along the ride. But certainly as you move through those two to three years, you are gonna pick up those coupons, which is essentially the yield that then pays you. Um, so you've just gotta get your timing right of the interest rate cycle. And because we had such a sharp increasing rate cycle through the course of 2022, we've seen those capital values kind of come down quite sharply. And that's what's caused this very uh, dismal return in the bond market over the last year or so. Yeah, but if you were new money coming to the bond market now, as we're lucky, is it actually a good time to buy South African government bonds? Um, and there's also, the, you know, the RSA retail savings bond where, uh, as far as I understand it, your capital is never really at risk because it's it's a very kind of, 
you know, it's it's for um, a retail investor. Um, you know, it's not like a bond ETF where your capital there could be a, a, an adjustment to to what you've paid, um, although the yields that you uh, that you're buying initially are, are going to be, I guess, um, well, pretty good at this point. Yeah, Gillette, uh, I think I think if I start with the latter, so so the the retail bonds, I mean, essentially you don't have any capital risk, as you say. It's basically like almost a fixed deposit that you put with the bank with, with the government. And so, so your capital risk is very low. The yields are very good at the moment uh, compared to what people would get in some of the bank uh, money market products. So, so certainly quite a good product. I think also if one looks at uh, where we are in the cycle, as, as Derek said, I mean, I think you have to look at what could happen to inflation. I think global inflation is high, unsustainably high. And I think what we are likely to see is that as the central banks keep hammering on uh, rates and to try and bring consumption down, we're likely to see inflation starting to come down. And certainly our bonds are likely to to, to show an improvement in terms of the yields, so the yields coming down, unless, of course, we have our, our own issues like political uh, stability and other things. But certainly, globally, if I look at it, uh, once inflation comes under control, we're likely to see a big rally in, in the bond market. So, so I'll be a lot more uh, open-minded about, about bonds at the moment. Okay. And, and, and there you're talking about the bond price that you would see a rally rather than the yield. If yeah, yeah. So, so yields would come down and the, the price would go up. Yeah. So, so they, as Derek said, they're working in opposite direction. So if you're getting a high yield, so it's basically you lock in a, almost like an effective interest rate that is made up of capital and, and, and coupon. And if you lock that in, you basically, if you hold it to maturity, that is what you'll get. So if uh, at a later stage, inflation expectations improve, what would happen is the yields have to come down because they have to reflect them. They always reflect inflation uh, to some extent. So as inflation comes down or, or the expectations of inflation come down, what you likely to see is that the bond yields will follow and that would mean that the prices of bonds would go higher. Yeah, okay. Just, just maybe on on the UK itself, uh, Derek. Um, uh, does it? You know, people have been sending questions in the last couple of weeks as a result of the turmoil in the UK market, and in particular the bond market, which they use, uh, they call gilts. Uh, we, we call it bonds, uh, as as that's I, I understand it. Um, and we've seen share prices like ninety one and Investec and the property companies Hammerson get absolutely smashed. Um, with today's uh, uh, new uh, mini budget and um, a reversal on on the tax cuts and the the improvement that you saw in uh, in the bond market there, would it encourage you into some UK shares? I think the UK is looking attractive. Um, if you do look at that market and just look at some of the fundamental value, if you just look at an average valuation across the market, so there certainly is some value, but it's not. It doesn't come without its risk. I think that obviously with regards to the, let's call it the energy crisis that's taking place and going into this winter period uh, for the Eurozone, big reliance on, on coal for the short term. Uh, where is the gas going to come from? Uh, the economy is facing certain headwinds that they need to get through. And there's a degree of uh, secondary stimulation that's starting to take place in terms of tax cuts. Obviously, um, uh, you, you're going to see that uh, give some short-term buoyancy to the market. 
but they're still in a very precarious space at the moment where I'd like to see how things play out, particularly through this sort of winter period for the Eurozone, before I can have a highly convicted call on, uh, you know, where it goes to from here. But you certainly are picking up uh, some shares at some decent valuations. It's just all about the backdrop of how the macroeconomic environment can help you grow out of the situation that they're in at the moment. And I think it's going to be a slow grind. Mm. So you've just got to keep a very close eye on the valuations of those equities. Um, you know, obviously be in for the long term and be prepared to call it bottom pick at this price or at these prices and a lot of those shares and just be patient and let that economy do what it needs to do as we move through the course of 2023. Zulaka, how about you? Would you look at any UK stocks or European stocks or does the, you know, the persistent shadow of Vladimir Putin also make you quite nervous about investing in the Eurozone in particular? Yeah, I'd agree that valuations look uh, relatively attractive, but I think there'll be a lot more questions about the UK. I think the exit from the EU has certainly uh, changed the dynamics in terms of the, the, the demand in that economy. I think secondly, if one looks at the, the, some of the sectors, I mean, I'd focus on things like uh, staples and technology within the UK. Uh, I'd try and avoid other areas where there could be discretion because I think those areas are likely to come under a lot of pressure before we see, we see things improve. I think uh, the, the, the economic situation is quite, uh, 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 I'd almost say dire, but the, mm. the challenge is that also that there's a lot of debt at a consumer level, and to be able to fund growth, I mean, where are they going to get the debt? I mean, it's quite a challenging situation in the UK. Um, there is a question that came through a little bit earlier on Murray and Roberts, which had an absolutely torrid day today, the share falling 36%. And the question is, um, what on earth has happened to cause the share price to plunge so dramatically? The CEO had a few weeks ago reiterated to the market its full order book. Is there any hope for any construction company? Well, you would question that after today. Um, Derek, he's, the viewer is quite right. Um, you know, Marion Roberts has been talking up some big project wins that they've had, and then all of a sudden they come out today saying that uh, they're reasonably certain that their earnings are going to be at least 100% down uh, for the first half end of December from the previous periods. What, what an about turn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, um, you know, particularly in the listed space, somewhat of a lesson to a lot of um, corporate management teams out there. You know, you never want to overpromise and underdeliver. Rather, under promise and over deliver, you know, so don't promise the market, particularly when you're in the construction space where stocks tend to trade up on order book sizes, prospective projects, uh, the delivery of those projects, um, you know, and that typically gives buoyancy to the construction stocks. So this certainly did come as a shock and you can see that in the share price reaction through the course of today. Um, I think it's also a little bit more um, of a construction sector argument as well. I think that the construction sector is in a lot more of a dire position than what, uh, you know, a lot of people think out there at the moment. You know, it's it's very difficult to kind of keep the cash flow going, make sure that you can actually get confirmation on projects and deliver on those projects. Mm. So I'm a little bit concerned about this construction sector just as a whole. 
Um, this has certainly uh, set the tone for probably some softer construction share prices across the sector in my mind. Yeah. Look, and there aren't many left in South Africa. And But the but the point of Marine Roberts is that we're not actually talking about the South African construction sector. We're talking about, you know, they have projects in the USA and Australia and they say margins there are under pressure. So we're like, I mean, it seems like there's a massive cash crunch there. Do you think there's a huge hole in terms of the cash that they need to keep these projects going, which are now delayed, they talk about supply chain constraints. I mean, is a write-off on the cards? Is that what the share price uh, performance today is telling us? Yeah, I, I think uh, I agree with Derek. I think if you haven't learned any lessons from the demise of a company like Avent, then you're likely to learn anything because these construction companies have got a line item called uncertified revenue in their balance sheet. Basically, it is revenue that they recognize that clients owe them, but clients haven't certified that that work uh, they approve. So, so they've been kept cost, and the matching principle in accounting requires them to match the revenue and the and the cost. So, what they would then do is they go on that uncertified revenue and recognize a portion of it into the into the books. And in Marian Robert case, I think at June, they had two and a half billion in that unsatisfied revenue, and they transferred 1.7 billion into uh, the income statement. In other words, they recognize the revenue and basically recognize some profits on that. And the, the problem with that is that that revenue may not be collectible. So so what is happening now is the cash crunch that is coming from revenue that's already been recognized. You look at the earnings that they reported, they were actually uh, not too bad. So So... Uh, again, the lesson is that earnings are not uh, cash flow. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, thank you for, I mean, you clearly had your eye out on, on Marion Roberts' last financial statements. Um, because, this, you know, we make this persistent mistake, and I think a lot of investors, we get very excited about um, the size of the order book and, yeah. and the potential size of new projects, and you think, okay, well, that is an automatic translation into sales and, and, and therefore profits, but this is never the case. I mean, and it hasn't been the case for, I suppose, at least, well, however long I've kind of been looking at, at uh, financial statements from, from construction sector companies. Um, Derek, do you anticipate any sort of short-term bounce in Marion Roberts' share price, or do you think actually now the market needs a little bit more clarity on, on what sort of the, the size of the hole is for them? I think it actually comes down to a macroeconomic discussion in that if we're going to fight this tide of rising inflation, high interest rates, you've got government projects uh, that are being put on hold, uh, construction sector projects kind of taking a back burner for now. I think looking forward over the next 12 months, I would tend to stay away from it. So to answer your question, I'm not buying it. I'm standing back. Um, as long as I can remember... Uh, construction stocks were always very much bull market stocks on the backdrop of strong macroeconomic fundamentals. We're not there. So I would tend to advise to stay away from it, see how it plays out. Mm. Let's wait for the top of the inflation cycle. Okay. So we're lucky you too, presumably. I agree. Uh, I wouldn't even touch it. I mean, even if uh, things improved in the economy, I, I don't think these, the accounting of these stocks is actually not uh, comforting. So there will always be a hole at the end of the day. So mm. at the beginning of the bull market, as Derek said, you tend to get that they, they will do well, they'll report good numbers, but towards the end of the contract, 
What happens is they've recognized a lot of their profit up front. In the tail, they have cost overruns, and then you, you're going to end up with uh, poor performance. So the, the cash flow is often not there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, just think back to the car train. Uh, and the issue, I, I mean, uh, that had, and this was, I mean, I think we're talking about 2008, 2009 in Murray and Roberts itself. Yeah. That was under different management, but uh, anyway. Moving on, uh, there's a question on Signia, um, and the question is, I'd love to get the panel thoughts on Signia if the panel thinks it's a buy. So we're like, sticking with you. Um, financial stocks have been hammered partly because of what's happened to financial markets. Signia, um, is yeah. it slightly different for you? Yeah, look, uh, I think... Signia is sensitive to what's happening in the market. I mean, their products are linked to market movement. So they have been found out alongside the, the rest of the market. But I think what is positive about their business is that they are gaining market share. They got an offering that I think is very compelling to uh, investors that, you know, a, a low cost uh, beta kind of uh, product. I think where maybe I, I struggle a bit is around if one looks at the price to book and the return. I mean, I think it's telling about three times a uh, book. So I would be a little hesitant at that level, even though it's probably sub 10 uh, PE. But certainly, I'd be a little hesitant at this level. Okay. Derek, how about you? And also, I mean, if you look at that chart, assuming the share price didn't change today, it's quite, it seems to be quite a liquid. Yeah, I think that's typically what happens generally with asset managers in this environment. When you have the backdrop of really tough, equity markets, bond markets, uh, all markets for that matter, you know, you tend to see these companies start to trickle down. You've seen it in coronation. You know, it wasn't long ago that was sitting at 50 rand, 55 rand, and I think today sitting at about 31 rand. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's typical of a sort of asset manager to kind of glide down on the backdrop of very tough markets or negative markets, let's call it that. That said, you know, you're also going to get a proxy to when you call the bottom in these markets and you do start to see equity prices. There is certainly a leveraged effect in terms of earnings when you do see better markets and what these companies are capable of producing in a good market environment. Um, take Coronation, for example, sits on a very attractive yield, even though interest rates have gone up. Um, I think fundamentally it's a compelling valuation. You know, you're going to be paid to hold the stock. Um, yes, it might bumble around as equity markets try to find a bottom and we start to see a very slow turnaround in equity markets, but you've certainly got a decent proxy to the market. They're good companies, they do well, but they obviously uh, operate best in markets that are trending to the upside. Yeah, okay. Then there's a question on the, uh, the RB Platts battle, um, and it says the deadline for the Implats offers extended time and time again. What does the panel see as the most likely outcome of this battle for RB Platts between Implats and Northam? In fact, I actually, I don't know when this, uh, when this deadline is supposed to close. So we're lucky, I think Implats is what, 42% or just under 42% of RB Platts shares? Yeah, I think it's certainly below 45%. Um, so, so I think uh, uh, Northam is sitting under 30, I think under 35 as well. So they, they're not yet at the mandatory offer stage at 35%. But, but I think if one looks at what the Northern uh, paid, or at least they offered to the Royal African family, I mean, they, they clearly overpaid. And I would almost say that if anybody can get this deal through, it's probably implied because they went on a conservative 
uh, players. And I think they've moved way higher than uh, uh, where, where Northern is. I think the difference is that Northern might not uh, uh, sell and it might they might just make life difficult for them to actually operate their asset. But mm. I certainly think that if I had to choose between the two owners, I'd probably go with Impact rather than Northern. Okay. Derek, I mean, how about you? I mean, is, is it conceivable that you have a situation where uh, neither party moves, which is what's been happening for the last few months, and RB Platts is owned by Northern and M Platts, and that's where it remains? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I certainly agree with the, the sort of the argument that M Platts is well positioned to potentially make an offer to shareholders uh, and minorities of the like. Um, I think also what we need to remind ourselves is what the revenue drivers within this space are. And if you just look at that platinum and the palladium price, you know, obviously, as Russia invaded Ukraine, we saw a very sharp increase in these prices. It was very short lived and we've seen them unwind quite sharply. Um, and that goes for a lot of these single commodities. You've seen iron ore come down quite sharply. You've seen palladium come down quite sharply. So long and short. Uh, they're starting to recover. They're starting to to tick back up. And I think that both, uh, we'll, we'll call it Impala, are being a little bit more strategic and being patient, um, letting the market settle and then having a definitive timing as to when they can potentially make an offer to shareholders. Okay. Then the last question sort of teases up for the stock picks, but maybe you'll be generous enough to give us a couple of more because it is, I'm currently 90% in cash if we assume that the markets are going to muddle along for the next six months before the real recovery begins. In which case, which three to five blue chip stocks should you look at investing once the recovery starts? So, so we're lucky your stock pick this evening and maybe something else that you would be um, interested in. Yeah, I mean, it depends on whether this is local allocation or global allocation, but I'll tell you say that uh, first of all, I wouldn't wait until the market can. I think 90% cash is way too much. At best, I'd say 20% uh, in, the, in the current environment. But if I look at the companies where I would put uh, my first stop would be Microsoft. I think that the company is a fantastic, uh, very defensive business, especially in the current environment where it's got a lot of revenue streams that are actually annuity-like. Mm. So, so at 23 times earnings, uh, uh, 2023 earnings, I don't, I don't think it's too bad. And I think the likes, if I look at the local market, it probably go with the likes of MTN. I think MTN is derated okay. quite, quite a lot. I think one of the things that people maybe have not taken into account is that uh, the, the oil price is a major feeder into yeah. uh, consumer spending in some of the African markets. And certainly okay. MTN could be a stock that works. Okay. I have to cut you off then and go straight to Derek. Thanks for those two. Derek, how about you? Okay, so I mean, going with my stock pick tonight, I'm going with Amazon. Um, and it ties into the theme is, as to kind of how I'm spending cash at the moment. I think there's been a big argument between value and growth. We've obviously seen growth unwind tremendously over the last six months. Um, and that's starting to show some value at this point. So I think you can stay in that tech space. Look at companies with cash on balance sheet. Apple looks quite interesting. I agree with the Microsoft pick. Mm. Um, and then you can look a little bit down. Or you, you could look at some of the banks in the U.S. I think even uh, Citigroup, JP Morgan, they all look quite interesting. I think generally equities look quite interesting. 90% cash is far too high. I certainly agree. In this kind of market, you want to be sitting on about 20% cash if things do come down. But certainly, this is a buyer's market. That's my opinion.
Okay. James, thanks very much uh, for wrapping that up so quickly and well. Thank you. Zuelaki uh, Nguni is from Benguela Global Fund Managers. Derek Jansen van Rensburg is from Anchor. And we'll be back with Stopwatch tomorrow night, same time, same place.